Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Hope Covenant. That was lackluster. Wow. Oh, there we go. Thank you. It's much better. Thank you, Tracy. Hey, this is fun. We got the whole family together here. Did, did anybody show up for the 9 o'clock service and you just found yourself here? Yeah, you get to have some fun, right? Yeah, you get to hang out for a little while. It was wonderful. Hey, Ryan, we did the Connect cards, didn't we? Did we do that? We did. Okay, wonderful. He's always on top of stuff. Hey, we just have one announcement that I'm going to do right up here before the message. And as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, tomorrow night, 7 p.m., so that's Monday, we're going to be screening a movie. The movie's about an hour, 15 long or so. And it's going to kick off a six-week group study here at Hope. Heidi and myself uh, and Isaac here, our painter, who, by the way, if you're new with us, one of the ways we worship uh, and communicate the message and theme of the morning is through painting and art. So thank you, Isaac, that you've been doing this. And we saw this movie called The Heart of Man back in September. It was just in theaters for one night. And it's a real gritty... Um, uh, movie that has the backdrop of kind of a, a version of the prodigal son and the younger brother, and the contrast is stories that happen that people, real life stories that people are telling from their own story and experience, and these are people who have left behind a way of approaching faith and life with, with hiddenness, uh, where they try real hard or fake it or wear masks, and they step instead, they step into the light and find freedom, and so this movie is a beautiful picture of the love of God and his heart as our true father, his heart that has grace and unconditional love for each of us. Uh, my friend, mentor, uh, John Lynch, he is a part of the storytelling part of this, and in fact, he clicks, kicks off the short clip that we're gonna watch right here, so let's check this out. I feel this sense that something is uniquely wrong with me. I always felt that God was mildly disgusted with me. Hearing that he loves me didn't really resonate because it's like when it's all said and done, he's still gonna judge me. Man, no matter what you did to clean yourself up, to look good, to play the right parts, to say the right things, shame was always there to tell you that you're bad. And when you're bad, God doesn't, doesn't love you. He doesn't want to have anything to do with you. You have to earn that love. Shame is that thing that drives my compulsive behavior. I was a slave to it. That's when it clicked. Lust is desire gone mad. So every man, every woman struggles with lust. So often we think God is just trying to get us to conform when really what he's committed to is unbelievable transformation. If we could only enter the depths of his love, we would find our lives deeply changed. When the prodigal hits the bottom, something can grow. Nothing so dead. God can't grow something living in it. So this film shows the unconditional love and grace of our Father God for all of us, no matter our past or current 
struggles. So plan to be here tomorrow night, 7 p.m. After the screening, you'll have an opportunity to decide then, hey, do I want to be a part of the six-week follow-up? And if you do, the books are $15, and we'll need to order them right away Tuesday morning. So make sure you're here and sign up if you want to be a part of the groups. Heidi's going to lead the the ladies' groups, and Isaac and myself are going to do the the groups for the fellas. And by the way, this is not a a film for your kids. Um, And speaking of kids, we will have, I think there's still a few spots, child care ages uh, 3 through 11. It's going to be $5 per child, maximum of 10 per family. If you need a scholarship on that, just let us know when you send the email. The address uh, was on the screen. It's hopekids, right, hopekids at hopecove.com otherwise. I think it's in your bulletin as well. All right, now let's move into the message. As Ryan uh, mentioned, this is the first week of the season we call Lent on the church calendar. Now, I grew up in a tradition of the church where we didn't uh, do this kind of pre-Christmas thing as Advent and the pre-Easter deal is Lent. And we are going to spend 40 days here. Uh, The season is 40 days long. It started on Wednesday. By the way, if you didn't have a chance to stop at Wednesday's open house. Ryan did a fabulous job with some really interactive stations and ways to welcome this this season. So if you missed it, remember next year. Okay, so, um, but this season leads us up to Easter. And uh, we're gonna call our series, we're calling our series The Journey to the Cross. And Jesus was crucified on Good Friday, so these days and weeks before that, we're going to focus on his journey to the cross, and we're going to look at stories from the life of Jesus that modeled for you and I what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. See, Jesus didn't just throw little sayings out there and say, hey, do this. His life was full of of ways that he lived out what it was to be his follower. He modeled for us what these things were look like. And so as followers of Jesus, we want to look to his life for those examples of what he did and how he lived. The passage that's going to be kind of our cornerstone for these weeks leading up to Easter is Philippians chapter 2. In fact, we're going to read from that the whole passage right here. There's six chapters. It'll be on the screen. Philippians chapter 2. I'll start with verse 5. And it is this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yeah, such a beautiful passage. And that's the cornerstone of where we're going uh, each of these upcoming weeks. Now... In our world, um, in fact, we'll put this up right here, we are pretty good at climbing ladders, metaphorically, and some of us even physically, but we're going to call this here the ladder of success. This is the ladder of success, and in our world, we 
live out and believe and write lots of books and sell lots of books that, that if you work hard enough, if you position yourself just right, you can climb higher and higher on the ladder of success. So whether it's vocationally or financially or socially, we really are prone to climbing up the ladder. And the promise is that if you get to the top of the ladder, if there, if there is a top, that if you get to the top of the ladder, then that's where all the good stuff is. Right? That's where all the status and success and recognition and significance, that's where all the power is at. And if we want to, we can devote our whole life to this right here. And a lot of people do, right? A lot of uh, us can choose to be a ladder climber. There's a pastor named John Ortberg, and he tells the story of a wealthy businessman that he knew. But when I read this story, I thought, you know, this applies to so many folks in so many ways that it really is, is, a, is a great illustration of what, what life can look like in our world when we devote it to being ladder climbers. And in a discussion with the man that John was talking to, he says, he told me when he was starting out in business, he would often read profiles of heroes in the Forbes or Wall Street Journal. He would read these profiles of successful entrepreneurs and CEOs who were higher up on the ladder than he was. And these stories would drive him, motivate him to work a little harder, climb a little faster. And then he said, one day something happened. In these profiles, he, he said, they would almost always include the age of the person they were writing for. And initially, the guy told him, the ages of those folks were always a little bit older than him. And he would tell himself back then, when I get to be their age, I'm going to be where they are on the ladder. In fact, I'm, I'm going to get there even sooner. But then one day, he was reading about somebody who was really successful, who had climbed the ladder higher than he had, only now this guy was younger than him. And he felt this little pain inside. He realized that as long as the stories were about somebody older, he could tell himself that he's going to outclimb that person, him or her. But now he saw that somebody was on a faster track than he was. And then as the years went by, there were always more stories about guys or gals who were younger and had climbed higher, and, and he started getting more depressed every time he read one of those stories. See, because when you do life on the ladder, it's, it's not enough that you win, everybody else has to lose. So you know what he did? This wasn't a bad idea, but he stopped reading the stories. <laughs> that was his pain management approach. He just stopped reading, right? So the latter was not good to him. In fact, he looked at his life finally, and his marriage was on life support. His kids' lives were a mess because they didn't see much of their dad. They didn't get a lot of his time or energy. This guy went to church. Uh, he had been going to church and sat in the same spot in church every week. Probably somebody wasn't always rearranging the chairs there. Yeah, so I guess you could do that, right? <clears throat> but, but nobody really knew him. Like, he never got into a small group. He never developed relationships. He didn't do vulnerability. He never poured himself out in service. He never even bothered to identify which spiritual gift God had given him. He wasn't about to commit to doing ministry with one group of people where he would have to devote time and energy and commitment and see it through because he wanted to save all that energy for the latter. See, the truth was, when he finally took a hard look, was the latter was his family. In fact, really, the latter was his God. When he was younger, he knew when he reached that next rung, he'd feel a burst of gratification, but it didn't 
last long because whenever you're climbing that ladder, you got to keep climbing again and again to keep that good feeling up. And he found, as people always find, that when he got older, the, the, the rungs got farther apart, the going was even slower, it got more crowded on that ladder. Because even though he was a really smart guy, he couldn't bring himself to just get off the ladder because he was afraid. Oddly enough, he says in summary, this guy who would take amazing risks and had a reputation in business for being quite fearless was afraid to get off the ladder because he had convinced himself that if he just climbed high enough, somewhere up there was something he couldn't live without and he hadn't gotten it yet or ever. And here we have a lot of ladders where we live here in the, in the valley. And, and the truth is, once we get on the ladder, it's very hard to get off. Like we look up at people who have gotten higher on the ladder than we are, and we feel discontent. And, you know, we don't much look down at the people lower than us, because when you're climbing a ladder, you're looking up. Yeah, right? Next story, a guy named Harold Kushner wrote about a very bright, driven pre-med student at a uh, very competitive West Coast college. Here's what he wrote. While traveling in the East, the summer before his junior year, a young man met a guru who said to this student, don't you see that you're poisoning your soul with this success-oriented way of life? Your idea of happiness is to stay up all night studying for an exam so you can get a better grade than your best friend. That's your idea of happiness? And your idea of marriage, the guru said to him, is not to find who, a woman who will match your soul, but to win the girl that everybody else wants. He told, him, he told the young man, that's not how people are supposed to live. He said, come and join me and my disciples in an atmosphere where we will all share and love one another. Well, the truth is the kid was ripe for this message, so he called his parents and told them he's dropping out of school to go live in a commune. Any parents that would have been excited about that? Like, right? <laughs> now, six months later, the parents got a letter from their son. It read like this, Dear Mom and Dad, <clears throat> I know you weren't happy with my decision, but I want to tell you how it's changed me. For the first time in my life, I'm at peace. Here, there is no competing, no trying to get ahead of anyone. This way of life is so in harmony with my inner soul that in only six months, I've become the number two disciple in all the community. <laughs> and I think I can become number one by June. Right? That's a little bit ingrained in us, right? right? I can even become the number one disciple by June. So to a, a culture like that back then and today, Paul writes this amazing passage that we just read. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And I want to pause at this part in that scripture. See, Jesus... Being in very nature, God became a servant. And I think it's really important for us to clarify that phrase for a moment. The, the phrase, Jesus being in very nature, God became a servant. Now, we might see that 
uh, phrase in Scripture and think Jesus, in spite of the fact that he was God, right? That's an easy way for our minds to go. I know that I used to think that. And, and truthfully, from a human standpoint, it really makes sense. That's, that's just the way we tend to think about it, you know? Hey, if I'm God, I don't have to serve anybody. Like, that'd be the good thing about being God, right? But Jesus became a servant in spite of the fact that he was God. I mean, that's how we think of it. And that's the way we would live if, if we were God, right? But one scholar says it's exactly the opposite. What this phrase means is exactly the opposite. In other words, he says, your attitude is to be the same as Christ Jesus, who precisely because he was in very nature God, right? Precisely because. And he didn't consider equality with God grounds for grasping. Right, so Jesus became a servant. It says Jesus came, the guy says, Jesus came as a servant, not in spite of the fact that he was God, but because he was God. It is the nature of God to serve, says Hawthorne. Isn't that unbelievable when we think about it? That's our God. Like, this is the God that we follow, the Jesus that we follow. And so when God comes to earth, he came as the most humble person who ever lived. See, Jesus, when he came in the form of a servant, he was not disguising who God is. He was showing us who God really is, right? That God has all the power, but he comes to show us his nature of a servant, and so this whole Philippians 2 passage is very different than, than the profiles that we would read in, in like a Fortune 500 magazine. See, the story of Jesus, it's not the story of somebody who is climbing up the ladder. I mean, what he's actually doing, God, is coming down. And in God's eyes, that's what it's all about, coming down. Again, this passage we read, it, it states Jesus is God. Now think about this. In the org chart of the universe, where would we rank that job title? You know, God, right? Maybe kind of high on the chart? Anyone yeah. with me? Okay, just checking here. Okay, so, I mean, you can't really get a promotion if you start out, you know, as God, right? You're, okay, just see if you're with me here. But Jesus, no, no, he gives it up. He doesn't consider being on top something to, to cling to. He doesn't... Say, hey, this is the basis uh, for me just to get my own way all the time, grounds for grasping. So he gives it up, and he comes down the rungs of the ladder, and he becomes a servant. He, he, he takes on flesh and blood. Jesus does this. But, but even on that level, okay, so he comes down here to a human being, right? Um, uh, think about this. He's a servant, but even angels in heaven, okay, they're, they're servants. So he goes lower than becoming a servant. He goes down to becoming a human being. He takes on, right, flesh and blood. Jesus does this, takes on flesh and blood. But, but think about that. Even as a human being, you know, some people live like kings and celebrities. So he gives himself another demotion. He humbles himself. If you know the story of his birth, he's born in a stable to a mother and father who are not rich at all. He comes as an underprivileged kid. And he's born as a peasant. In fact, his family becomes refugees in Egypt for a while. 
I mean, now, again, keep in mind, he's, right, Jesus is God. And he's descending. But that's not even low enough. There's lots of peasants, lots of underprivileged people and refugees in our world. So he keeps going down. And the passage we read says he becomes obedient to death. In other words, his ultimate task was not some massive achievement or status. It wasn't the thing that people dream of, like aspiring to. There was nothing glamorous about death. But his latter rung dissension doesn't just stop there. He descends even further. There's rung, one rung lower yet. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Here's the next rung down, even death on a cross. Now, when you hit death on a cross, you hit rock bottom. Because among Jesus' people, the law that they lived by said, cursed is anyone who is hanged upon a tree. And the fate of death by crucifixion, it was despised above all others. And, and it stunned the world, that horrific death. It still does. Um, anybody see the movie The Passion? It's probably like a dozen years ago or so, right? I mean, just I was thinking about this this week, just the death on the cross and how, how brutal it was and the depiction of what that was like. And, and God, God, top of the org chart, descends and allows himself to be humbled and then allows himself to be killed in this brutal way. I mean, it just blows me away when I think about it. See, there is one who went down the ladder as far as he could go, not in spite of the fact that he was God, but precisely because of the fact that he is God. Now, one of the problems we have with spending our lives climbing up this ladder is that when we go climbing up the ladder, we go right past Jesus, don't we? Because where's he going? Right, right, he's coming down. We're climbing that ladder, and he's on his way down. He's coming down. And so, and so God serves, and he gives himself to us, and, and then he calls us to do the same. That's what following Jesus is all about, to live as he lived and loved as he loved, serve as he served. This is what life in the kingdom of God looks like, this, this new reality that Jesus invites us into where we can, we can let go of this whole way of life of climbing the ladder. Because, you know, back then, just like today, um, the followers of Christ were also real climbers, just like you and me tend to be. In fact, they, they had this argument that regularly occurred with the disciples amongst themselves uh, through the New Testament accounts of, of their little community, the 12 disciples. And their argument was, who's the number one disciple? Right? They would argue about this amongst themselves all the time. Uh, one example is in Luke um, chapter 22. A dispute rose up among them, the disciples, as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Right? They'd have this argument, the disciples of Jesus, like, which is comforting to me that they could be around him and still struggle with this because, you know, uh, yeah, I, I have the same issue, right? <clears throat> so Jesus decides finally to work on it with them again. He probably decides, hey, the lecture method, it's not really working real good. Um, so right before Jesus is betrayed, we're talking late in the journey to the cross, right before the Last Supper, so the night before Jesus is betrayed, the Last Supper, which we celebrate as communion, 
Jesus decides to paint the picture for them, actually to act it out. And um, back then, in, in that day, in that culture, the most menial job that you could have in that day was to be a foot washer, to wash someone's feet. And in that day, people mostly went around in sandals, and, and they were maybe barefoot, and roads were dusty, and then when it rained, they'd get muddy, and on top of that, there were animals on the road all the time, a lot of animal traffic, and nobody cleaned up after the animals, so, you know, uh, feet were not the most, um, we'll say, hygienic of body parts, right? Feet get pretty, pretty, pretty nasty. So for somebody to have to wash feet like that, that was bottom of the ladder type of work. And so when you would come to someone's house for dinner, the servant, probably the lowest servant, would be waiting for you at the door, and they would be washing your feet. So the night before Jesus is going to be betrayed and given up to go to the cross, they're all gathered together. They're, they're about to have dinner, and I imagine that maybe they were arguing amongst themselves. One of them probably says, hey, listen, dude, I got the room for the meal, so I'm not doing it. And another one says, hey, hey, I went to the market. I got the food, so I'm not doing it. And probably one of them says, well, thanks for making the arrangement, but, but, but who was supposed to go get the foot washer? Like, whose job was it to get somebody else in here to wash our feet? And Jesus, being in very nature God, precisely because he is God, takes up a towel. I mean... In our society, when somebody is going to serve, you know, you really you take up a towel. And nobody makes a magazine cover for doing this. Like, nobody gets interviewed by Fortune 500 or TMZ Nightly for doing this kind of towel work. But Jesus, precisely because he was God, he takes up a basin of water and a towel. Now, I was trying to think of a modern-day equivalent of this, um, Anybody ever watched the TV show The Apprentice? Anybody ever see that? It was on for like a decade. Oh, it's okay. You can confess. I'm not going to, you know, it's not going <laughs> to make funny. I mean, I don't want to sound like I've maybe seen two minutes of it ever total in my life. And basically, um, it was about, you know, men and women who wanted to hang out with and work for Donald Trump. This was before he became president. And on this uh, show, you know, I just kept thinking, hey, well, maybe one day again. Uh, Donald's pretty good at TV, so maybe one day he'll go back into TV. But what do you think the odds are on, on The Apprentice, if he does go back to a show like this, that, that he's going to get down on his knees and polish the shoes of all the people that are trying to be his apprentice? Right? Probably slim to none. I mean, and it's not, you know, a knock on him so much as it's just, that's just not how we do stuff, right? Right? But Jesus takes this towel, he gets down on his hands and knees, being in very nature God, precisely because he is God. He takes up the basin of water, the towel, and he goes up to Peter, one of his disciples, and Peter says to him essentially, no way, you're not going to do this. But Jesus says, yes, no, this is, this is necessary. Right? And Jesus, precisely because he's God, takes those dirty, unclean, you know, poo-covered feet in his hands, and he washes them and dries them off. And he does this from one disciple to the next, to the next, to the next, 
all the way around. And remember, these guys are ladder climbers just like you and I. And then when Jesus is done with the foot washing, this is what he says to his disciples. Do you understand what I have done? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example. And now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Todd Hunter is a friend of mine. He's an Anglican bishop and, um, and had been a priest in the Anglican church before becoming a bishop. I guess that's how it works, right? Um, but, but he said to myself and a group of folks in, in a retreat we were at one time, he said that Jesus started what might be called the fellowship of the towel. The fellowship of the towel. And I, you know, I can't wait to see what happens when we the community here at Hope, become known as the fellowship of the towel, right? An alternative community in a world of ladder climbers where, where, where instead of climbing the ladder, you know, we put a towel over our arm and we simply ask people, can I serve you? Can I help you? Can I just serve or help? Sometimes the whole foot washing thing gets lost on us because, well, that's not real practical. Maybe we could do that once in a while in kind of a special service. But, but just think about bearing the towel as, can I serve you? How can I help you? See, Jesus started this community while he was here on earth, the fellowship of the towel. And in this kind of community, there was no climbing, no, no comparing, no competition, just a bunch of foot washers. And I think that it might be one of the hardest things in the world to turn ladder climbers into towel bearers. Like we're all going to have to ask for God to give us a lot of help on this because truthfully we live in ladderville, right? <laughs> but it's a strange thing that towel bearing actually ends up bringing more fullness to our lives than, than ladder climbing brings. If we read that Philippians passage that we've been looking at, you can see that Jesus went down the ladder to its lowest rung. And then it says that God exalted him to the highest place. See, the day is coming, Paul says, when, when everybody's going to come down off the ladder. Right? Every knee will touch the ground. Every tongue will confess. I mean, can you imagine what that's going to be like? Like Donald Trump and Mike Pence's knees are going to touch the ground. Kim Jong-un's knee is going to touch the ground. You know, LeBron James's knee is going to touch the ground. Bill Gates' knee is going to touch the ground. The Dalai Lama's knee is going to touch the ground. Our governor, Doug Ducey, his knee is going to touch the ground. Vladimir Putin, his knee is going to touch the ground. And you and I, our knees will touch the ground. Every knee will bow. And every tongue will acknowledge that the one who humbled himself to the lowest place has now been put in the highest place and given the highest name. Jesus. Yeah. See, and it's not just Jesus who finds that serving is the path to joy. He says to his friends what we just read. Now that you know these things, like 
Now that you know it and you've seen Jesus do it, Jesus says, you will be blessed if you do them. Blessed, like you'll be fortunate, you'll be happy, you're blessed if you do the same thing. So as I was writing this message, I just thought, you know, what, is, what does God want to do through this theme here at Hope Covenant? Because um, we have a lot of people here that serve really, really well. Really well. It's a beautiful thing. But one thing that I think he's perhaps saying to us as a community and individuals is I think that he wants for this to be a community. Like in this crazy culture that we live in, for this to be a place where ladder climbers get turned into towel bearers. A, a place of the community of the towel. Like wouldn't that be a cool thing? I mean wouldn't that be... Uh, amazing. I mean, the latter is addictive, isn't it? It's addictive. Like, it's really hard to come down off that ladder when we've spent all our time and life and energy climbing that ladder, and I can't get off the ladder by myself. Like, I need help. And Jesus will give us the help. Like, he specializes in pulling down ladders and picking up towels, and so he will help those of us who struggle with this. So what if we became a community for recovering ladder climbers. Right? What if we saw each other in the lobby or outside after church or we're greeting each other, you know, during in-service time here and, or we're in our small groups and we say things like, hi, my name is Doug and I'm a recovering ladder climber, you know? Thank you. I was hoping somebody would do that. I mean, I think... Nearly all of us struggle with this, right? At least I know I do. In fact, this week when I'm working on this message, I'm nearly done. I planned out my day. I wanted to get a bunch of things done. And Heidi and I were planning to take a couple days off the grid and go hiking, which was really fun. And I had a few things I was just trying to squeeze in and get finished. And a friend asked me to do a really important favor that meant I was going to need to take a few hours of, out of my day and, and help out. And in my head, the immediate response was, well, no, I can't do that. I have, I have to write this message on how important it is to serve. Like, I've got to, you know, <laughs> convince everyone else to set aside their petty agendas and get off their ladders and go out and do some servanthood and acts of love. I don't have time to serve like this, right? <clears throat> I didn't get it as quickly as you did, but yeah. Um, but I felt the disconnect, and it was a good thing to do. It was, I'm, I'm glad that I did. So I got a little chance to serve this week, but then I got a sermon illustration out of it, so I don't even know if that counts as serving or not now, right? But here we go. You know, I, I, I don't like to think of myself as a big taker. But the truth is I can fall real short in the servanthood department. The beauty is it's not like I have to go out and muster all this up to go do it because of, we've talked about this before, because God has given you a new heart and a new identity and a new nature, he's already wired this inside of you, right? You don't have to go out and go find this mysteriously somewhere. It's already in you to serve like Jesus did, but it's still hard for us to do, like, because some, some of us, you know, you have a really difficult person in your life, maybe, and you have not performed an act of service for that difficult person for a very long time, if ever, and um, <clears throat> if you were to do one, it might surprise them, like, they wouldn't even know, like, oh, you, what, what'd you do? Like, they wouldn't know how to take it, right? Gary Smalley uh, talked about a husband who had not done a loving gesture, like a servanthood kind of gesture for his wife, 
in a very long time. So he's finally convicted. His family feels like, oh, you know, I really need to do this. It'd be important to me for the do. So he decides he's going to do this. And so he comes home from work, and she, his wife, sees him step inside the door of their house, and he's got a box of candy in one hand and a bouquet of flowers in the other. And she, surprisingly, she starts to sob. Like she's just crying. And, and he asks her, honey, honey, what's wrong? And she said, I had a terrible day. The school bus didn't come. I had to take the kids into school. Then the washing machine broke down and Billy twisted his ankle. I had to take him to the emergency room. And now you come home drunk? <laughs> yeah. So if it's been that long, fellas, huh? <laughs> You know, to tell you the truth, though, there, there are so many different ways for us to talk about what it looks like to, to pick up the ministry of the towel. Like, what if it means you're at a meeting with work? There's a moment where you can do self-promotion, or there's somebody else at the meeting that you can try to build up and try to back him or her up. That's one way. Uh, or you're in a group. Somebody's venting their frustrations. And we could choose to either, you know, fix them and offer lots of advice, bad idea, or I can listen and maybe even offer words of encouragement, maybe even the words that you only wish someone else would speak to you. Or maybe you're at home, there's a thousand moments, all the dishes have to be done, the laundry's got to be done, something's got to be put away, or somebody needs to be listened to. Or your kid needs to be read to or played with. Like, there's so many ways to take up the ministry of the towel. And we're a part here at Hope. We're a part of this great church where week after week, from our first impressions team to our small groups to our kids ministry to our landscape crew to our worship team and so many other places, there are ways to take up the towel. And with our, our new refugee ministry, which, by the way, is meeting right after the service today, and we're supposed to meet in the room down here by the corner, but I think there's enough people interested that we may instead spread out in here. But, but they are going to go in that room over there. Okay, all right. So there are ways to take up the ministry of the towel, and that would be a great one as well, to, to look at this, or, or the diaper drive that's happening through next Sunday, or the upcoming One Mission Mexico house building trip, or, or our munch, March 24th, be the church, serve our neighbor's day. There's just so many places to take up the towel. But I don't think you need me to walk you through a bunch of examples. Um, I think this is decision time for each of us. I think for us as a church and for each of us as individuals, we need to get really clear about the answer to this question. Do I want my life to be about the ladder or the towel? Like, what do I want to do with my life? Do I want my life to just be all about the latter? Work, academic achievement, athletic accomplishment, musical fame or recognition, physical attractiveness. There's all kinds of ladders, friends. Do I want my life to be about the ladder or the towel? So as the worship team comes now, I want to give you a moment here to talk to God about this. Um, you know, it's a scary thing to get off the latter, ever since the fall of man, temptation for each of us is 
you know, you can be like God. You can achieve. You can achieve. And so we get real tempted to sin because we're always thinking, I got to climb. I got to climb. I got to get up there, get higher. But again, friends, God's coming down. (laughs) And so your life, just between you and God, you know, take a moment now to tell him whether your decision is to be a towel bearer and just say, God, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a ladder climber all my life. And then just tell him right now if there's changes that need to be involved um, and, and just say, God, realign my heart and help me be a servant. And take a moment in silence here for you just to talk with God about this. And then I have a few instructions about what we're doing next as we worship. But, but just take these moments the ladder or the towel.